The following is a production of Art Trap Productions and is made possible in part by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash British Sci-Fi. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also brought to you by Doctor Who Podshock, the premier international and oldest Doctor Who podcast. Check it out at podshock.net. The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. With Dave Cooper and Graham Sheridan. And this is Louis Trapani. Welcome to another episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. We're back, and so is Torchwood, or I should say Torchwood is back, and so are we. Well, it doesn't matter, but one, it's the same difference, I think. So, uh, but we're back here on a Sunday with a live review, reviewing episode two of Torchwood Miracle Day, which is, um, actually the episode name is Rendition, though. You wouldn't know from watching it because... It seems to be typical, well, typical with modern U.S. television shows, seems to exclude episode titles from the opening credits. So um, you're, um, unless you're sort of connected online and privy to that, you wouldn't even know what the episode title is. Uh, with Children on Earth, we just had day one, day two. It was only five episodes, so each episode was a different day, which sort of made sense, though um, they're not doing it necessarily that way this time around. So, uh, but let me introduce uh, both Dave and Graham. First, uh, Dave Cooper. Hello, Dave. Hey, good to be here, but I'm a little bit concerned that Graham supervised the pouring of my wine, and I'm a little suspicious. <laughs> oh, no. You be- yeah, you best um, maybe um, analyze the liquid for any, you know, subst- alien substance in there. And Graham, uh, your, your take on that? Graham Sheridan is here as well. So, hello, Graham. Oh, just like Jack, I've got a Coke in hand. Well, Coke, <laughs> oh my, of a famous firm. <clears throat> yes, Pepsi Coke. Yes, and uh, what's it we're reviewing? Oh yes, Torchwood Mackerel Day, where fish go on the murder. No, Rory, sorry, 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 you're in the wrong universe. <laughs> it's Miracle Day. <laughs> sorry, it's a joke I've been wanting to do for a while. Must be a spoof coming up. I, I don't know. I, I think I think <laughs> someone switched glasses and Graham, and Graham got poisoned. <laughs> Quick, let's uh, find what we can create as a remedy with just the with just what's on board here in our studio. Uh, so, uh, nope. <laughs> I hope everyone's doing well, and I hope everyone. Mm-hmm. 
had a chance to see episode two of Miracle Day. And uh, just a, a note to that, that I know in the U.S. episode three has already been shown on stars, but uh, we're trying to be inclusive to those in the U.K. by reviewing episode two because it was just uh, Thursday night that it was broadcast on BBC in, in the U.K. So so therefore, what we're going to be discussing is just episode two. So if you have seen episode three yet, pretend you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> at least for the duration of this live recording. And then you can you, uh, take a, what is it, a, a um, retcon? Is it, no, um, the, 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 that um, medicine yeah, that... that okay, so selective memory erasure. So, so that also serves as a, um, a spoiler warning. Spoilers. 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 All right. So to that end, if you haven't seen episode two yet, obviously anything that follows after this point will be could be spoilery. So if you're a Doctor Who fan, you might want to know that on Monday night and Tuesday night, suppose, well, I say supposedly there's more to that, but uh, supposedly on Monday night, Matt Smith is going to be on the Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson and on Tuesday night, Karen Gillan's going to be on it. So you might want to check that out. And when I say possibly only because um, at least at as of last night, according to the CBS schedule, it was still um, Matt Smith was scheduled for Friday. But according to my uh, DVR, he's um, he's scheduled for Monday. So I'm, I'm assuming maybe the website hasn't been updated yet. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes he does oh. record them on those were the days they recorded on. They may not necessarily. It, well, that could be that days. could be the case too. It could be that he's being uh, the show is being recorded on Monday, and you know it's going to be shown on Friday. But I, th- I don't know. We'll, we'll see. So just a heads up there, and I don't know if there's any other pressing British sci-fi related news that 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 we should um, touch upon before we get into our review of Torchwood. Just, uh, I mean, okay, it's Doctor Who, and we really want to do that in a Doctor Who podcast. But well, no, that's okay. As, as long as it's British sci-fi. Hour. Yes. Yeah. Well, literally breaking within the last hour. Uh, apparently, we've had confirmation that Karen Gillan will be in Series Seven. Well, that's a big surprise. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think there was any doubt, but. Yeah, I don't know. It was looking after what we were going through this year. It was looking sketchy at the best. Uh, at least from our point of view, um, obviously the Grand Moff Tarkin's got his big plan and, and all that, and he doesn't want to let too many secrets out. But um, yeah, that's kind of nice. At least we'll have a com- uh, companion with in longer than just two series. Um, yeah, well, with, since since uh, the series Rose. has come back in 2005, that's the, I guess the longest has been um, Rose uh, Billy Piper. I was <laughs> having a memory uh-huh. erasure right there. So Torchwood, Miracle Day, Episode 2, it picks up pretty much right after Episode 1, though I saw that, I, I see that it's it's much different than what we saw in Episode 1 as far as the, the pacing is, is different. It's, it's, a, it's basically a slower pace than Episode 1. I also found it less cinematic. The, the lighting was um, lit differently, and I, I should just kind of back up a bit and just tell you that it was... Um, it was written by Doris Egan and directed by um, Billy Gearhart. And basically the we have the um, returning cast from episode one. And in, in, in addition to that, we have Wayne Knight's character is introduced as uh, Mr. Freakin, who we now who know 
who he is. What's, um, I'm forgetting the actress's name now from Six Feet Under, who plays um, um, Jillian Kissinger. Jillian Kissinger. I forget that. Her. <laughs> yeah, Jillian Kissinger. That's correct. That's the character's name, but the actress's name, I, I'm... Yeah, it's Lauren thinking. Ambrose. Lauren Ambrose is the... Lauren uh, Ambrose. Thank you, uh, Darth, in, in chat. Yeah. Uh, and that reminds me, we should let you know that this is a live show, so you can call into it at 724-444-7444, and the call ID number for the show is 110825, and that's, uh, you'll need that, you know, that caller ID number to identify the show, just call it in. It's, a uh, there's no charge, I mean, except for your carrier, there's no charge for the call. Uh, you can also sign in at talkshoe.com and get a free account there if you don't have one already and join in on the chat that goes on simultaneously while we're doing the the live show so um uh, one of us trying to keep tries to keep an an eye out on the chat there while we're recording so uh, so getting back to uh to torchwood now um as i was saying i just felt it was it this episode feels more like a typical American television episode or from any, not that I watch a lot of American TV dramas, but from what little I have seen, it just seems like it's, it's very much in that mold. It just seemed, you know, and I'm not saying it's good or bad, but it's just different. it, It definitely has a different feel than what we saw in episode one. There's more dialogue here. There's not as much action. So as I said, the pacing is different. It just has a different feel to it. There's just certain elements, um, certain rhythms that are, are different, but I, it's, it's, it's directed by a different person. It's, um, so, you know, there's, there's that, you know, so it's not completely out of the realm of understanding why it's different. So it's a different episode. I think in some ways this second episode could have done with being slightly shorter. There were some quite prolonged scenes in it. Uh, although in actual fact, I can say here, I actually enjoyed episode two more than episode one. But that may well be because of people who've seen Torchwood before. You could argue that some of part one was redundant in as fact as we, we were aware of some of the characters, but nonetheless essential in in, in this uh, series four. And, and I'll repeat the point I made last week that very much watching this one you can see that if this had been added to part one you would have had a lovely feature length tv movie and maybe the pacing would have been more even and uh, the, the difference between the two halves it may have flowed better for many ways for many reasons i actually enjoyed this part more mainly because i like the fact that uh, we now have the eve miles character coming a little bit more into her own uh, and we have the switcheroo of course with uh, uh, Captain Jack being actually a bit, a bit less powerful but that's perhaps jumping a bit too far forward at this point Well we do in the in the very beginning of this episode we lose two characters from episode one I mean we, we, we don't lo- not that they die but they just depart which is Reese and and their baby are, um, are are not brought to the U.S., so um, I, I think that's it's a loss there because I really enjoy Kai Owen who plays Reese. Um, I, I I really enjoyed his work in Episode One, so I was hoping to see more of him in the series. And that's not to say that he's not you know he's still listed there in, in the top credits, so he's um, 
I'm, I'm assuming we'll, we will see more of him as the episodes go on. I felt his missing, you know, I thought he added a bit of texture to episode one that was missing in episode two. Well, Rex dismisses him as the the spouse. So in some ways, uh, it might do us a favor in as much as he will now be basically uh, their race in the hole because they'll expect him to go back and just look after the baby and be out of the equation altogether. Where indeed, uh, we know already that the, the hideout place they had in Wales they had the stockpile of arms and other paraphernalia, mm-hmm. and um, he, he may well feature in that mode later down the line. The other thing is some of the actions that we see the Eve Miles character take in this, she wouldn't have done if all they needed to do was hold a, you know, a gun to a baby's head. All right, the baby might not be able to die, but you know, harming the baby in any way would have just... Uh, you know, brought her to her knees. In yeah, effect. I mean, so even though people it, can't die, they can be in, injured and stay injured and mutilated. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and and speaking of which, Rex Matheson, that, that character seems to be in this episode has seemed to be stabilized a bit more. Where he was, um, you know, compared to episode one, I think they explained it that he's taking painkillers, but he was in a lot of pain in episode one, and now uh, you know he's um seems to be managing that better now, and and seems to have more or less stabilized he doesn't seem to be bleeding all over and um you know and 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 being in as much pain well early on in that where they're on the airport grounds when they're talking to captain jack captain jack replies he said no i'm not dying i'm just mortal you know all these systems are not deteriorating you know he's bruised i've got a feeling that you 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 from things that are not life-threatening your body can repair itself it's it's not a question of you know the injury completely stays with you. Um, it's just that obviously if you're you know if it's a, a systems critical thing, then it may not be able to mend yeah. because normally mm-hmm. it wouldn't be able to mend. But anything that could normally mend will probably normally mend. Well, they do get more into the minutia of this, you know, what it means to um, not have death, and you know, they they get more into that in this episode. You know, talking about you know aging, aging, and and um, infections, and what it means when um, you know when you don't have the enough antibodies to fight the infections, and that we're just basically playgrounds for bacteria now, and so forth. So I mean, it's all interesting stuff. It's, it's just it's it's just a lot of dialogue to pack into one episode, which I don't have a problem with. It it, it seemed like the only really drama was on board the plane, you know, trying to get trying to save Jack, and then once they got to the airport, the rest of it was more basically just storytelling and and you know, again trying to um, flesh out to the audience what this really means, you know, the situation that they're in. Well, well there's also the, the point that we have two characters now, Rex and the young girl, um, basically being um, uh, f- from some personal persons unknown. Well, we know one of the people, the, the new character you just mentioned, but Mr. Freakin. they're being um, ostracized in a way from their own department. Yeah. Presumably yeah. that's going to lead on to them working together instead of, you know, seeing uh, Captain Jack and and uh, Eve Miles as, uh, you know, s- somebody that they need to um, take in. I mean, even, even Eve says, you know, you stupid man, 
All you needed to do was ask us. <laughs> that was a Welsh accent, by the way, Graham. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. Blum and take your head outside and take it for a wash. <laughs> Anywho, um, yeah. It's just a, it's a great little setup so far. I mean, the problem is everybody seems to be overreacting. What I'm hearing so far, through the podcast, through Twitter, everybody seems to be slightly overreacting. Oh, reacting like, towards what aspect? Yeah, t- towards the way that the way that the story is uh, unfolding. The, the thing is, uh, the previous um, story, which was Children Earth, was done in five mm-hmm. days. Yeah. It was done in five episodes, and basically, what you got for material that was done in, in over five episodes, you it's approximately got ten episodes to do it through. So, if we're talking about uh, for what was one episode in Children of Earth, you've got two episodes here. So it's given him time to bring out the characterizations, lay the stuff down, so you get the nice big payoff later. Well, that's what I'm hoping anyway. I hope it's not sort of typical RTD um, sort of thing where things are left open at loose end unless it's sort of hitting towards the next series after this. But you get the time. The people have been introduced, so you get sort of a, a time to actually get used to their characters to actually see what they may be coming from Mm -hmm. Um, you've got the thing with uh, Lauren Ambrose's character well um, you're exactly right what what they're doing in this episode still an introduction to the story I mean like I said we still had two characters that were in episode two that were introduced now two ongoing I should say two ongoing characters so as you said it's still a introduction to the story we're still in You know, if we were to kind of slice it where every story supposedly has three parts, this is, you know, the still the first part that we're in. Yeah. So you've got, you know, you've got characters, you've got Lauren Ambrose character, which is uh, ambiguous at the best times. Uh, there's bits that are, make more sense when you watch the th- uh, part three, but we're not getting into that yet. Um, not here anyway. And you sort of get a slight idea of what she might be uh, like. She's got this sort of um, greasy PR type. Um, maybe sort of... Uh, it's like the one description I've heard of uh, of her. She's dressed basically a lot of the time there in the second episode in red and well, across like the devil. Yeah, sort of and, and there's, sort of, there's uh, mention of that in the dialogue, which I was going to make a point of right now, is that um, yeah. you know where he's she's speaking with um, with um, what was the character's name Dane Oswald Oswald uh, Dane, Oswald Dane. yeah and it, you know and there was dialogue with about the devil and he had said you know if the devil was to walk the earth um, he would be a PR person or something like that and there she is all dressed in red with like red lipstick and obvi- with her red hair and red um, blazer and all that so it just it seemed like that was a obvious comparison there. Yeah, uh, there's also sort of other things like uh, the character of Esther, uh, who is practically um, also you could suppose draw lines in in parallel to how uh, the character of Gwen Cooper was at the beginning of series one, in episode one sort of uh, of, of Torchwood, and uh, she's the one that's actually properly uh, growing with the whole situation um, because well. Unlike Gwen's character, she has to. Um, I mean, I know the guy that's her CIA boss there who 
for some bizarre reason, um, despite that he's been, uh, well, he's not been in Billy Madison, but my brain keeps saying to me that's that's that uh, the guy who's in Billy Madison, who's the the rector of the school, uh, who had a, a bad past as the disgusting blob, and I can't get that in my head, despite me knowing he wasn't in there. He was actually he got et in Jurassic Park, but um, you've got him. Yeah, possibly Wayne Knight know. is the actor. Wayne Knight. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, for me, if if anybody sat there was possibly not quite the right person to be put into that position as the CI director it would possibly be him we're keeping this to, strictly to episode two here and um well for those see he's got a sacred thing this 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 telephone that he has with just the triangle on display that's bright red um so the, communi- uh, the communications uh, going back between him and uh, his higher bosses, we can only presume. Uh, people within the, uh, the what I call a tr- maybe a triad, you know, it's a triangular triad. Uh, and the communications between him and his operatives that are out in the field doing his work as well. But um, yeah, for yeah, those, it's, it's, it's intriguing. For, for a Seinfeld fan, fans, they, they would recognize him as um, Newman in Seinfeld. Yes, um, I mean he's he's doing the the role and doing it well. It's just I have problems because I have other associations with the uh, with the characters he usually plays, uh, rather than the one he's actually playing here, which is a sort of proper sort of um, for me proper greasy um, CIA man who is proper guy who's keeping things real proper secret. Um, Sort of, uh, I can't, I can't even describe on a level. Maybe on a sort of MI5 level, I'd say possibly MI5, MI6 level, and that's the, uh, quite literally the only problems I've got with this. But um, the way that Oswald Danes is now, uh, Bill Pullman is now mm-hmm. sort of devel- uh, is developing episode for episode, um, you sort of really, it um, plays it so well. You actually do have a real good dislike for the character. Uh, the way he is, the the, the greasiness, but he he's obviously a very bright character. With the one scene where he's having the the interview uh, for the news uh, station, yeah, and he's he's packing food to take with him, mainly because uh, it's free food in wartime, so to speak, and uh, you never see no to free food basically. Um, but he's he's playing it cleverly uh, in that way, even though that Jilly later says, uh, "Do you think you paid for that?" Uh, which, you know, it's just like, we don't get paid for news jobs, but they told you that. You know, sort of little lines here and there. It's rather fa- uh, fantastic uh, and subtle. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's building quite nicely. It's it's literally, it, it's, it's oh, how can I describe it? It's like a bit of um, a pressure cooker. It's building up steam. And the, bit, the steam is building up, or like a, an old steam train. The steam is building up. And you can see it building up the, the pieces have been laid in place um, I understand well, all... sorry, I was going to say I mostly agree with what you said but I thought the the, the Brian freaking, the, the Wayne Knight character I, I thought it was a little bit overly telegraphed that um, I mean when uh, Esther's talking to him you, I mean everybody watching that is going to think well can she not realise he's, he's double talking here and uh, uh, when he goes to the security guard watching the, the monitors and he, he basically says, oh, this is just an exercise, you know, and so on. And um, 
to me, they, they, they telegraphed it a little bit too clearly that, you know, well, he's a bad one. He's a bad one. Watch him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But it's a, the fact the way the things are being set up, uh, as far as I'm concerned, correctly. Um, I started at the beginning, obviously, because the way that Rex Matheson's character is that he's basically um, one is centrally concentrating on career type people and uh, doesn't really give a monkeys about anybody else uh, who's actually in his way um, with things that were uh, going back to you know, the previous episode where he was looking just to get one over on somebody that was just in front of him uh, well I say one over I said it's more like um, he was more interested rather than being interested in Torchwood which Esther kept on mentioning that was coming up all over the place uh, that he was more interested that the guy in front of him uh, was going through a messy time with his uh, wife and such forth and um, within this this um, story he's I don't know if he becomes softer um, but he's still the one that gets you back up um, you know he's got his obvious role to play uh, in this um, he's trying to be sort of clever but at times then realising he doesn't know as much as he thinks he knows and uh, Captain Jack been sitting there and smug it's, it's a good counterbalance to what Captain Jack is because Captain Jack is the, the smug one that knows everything or supposedly knows everything um, you know compared to everybody else so yeah I can understand that um, but uh, yeah well, I don't know how much more we want to get into this. I, I didn't really have a problem with Wayne Knight in in that in the in his character so far. I mean, I I actually haven't seen episode three yet, and I kind of do that deliberately so that I don't that doesn't I'd rather review this episode without seeing that one first. So um, I don't know where the character may go, but right now, as of yet, I he's obviously as we see on screen, he has other things going on and he's not um which we have yet to know really what's that what that that's all about as far as the cia itself goes i've never been to cia headquarters or any any cia facility but, oh i bet they i bet they've had you in but it, <laughs> <laughs> well unless i erase my memory afterwards but uh the the all the interior shots there of the you know on the location of the sets that are used seem a bit small or cramped and i you know it could very well be the case but it just seems you know that that's how it is in reality but i don't know it just it seems like they're almost tripping over each other in that main room where they're, they're all kind of situated and it's just um even like um mr freakin's office seems a little claustrophobic you know um again it's not nothing um it's not a deal breaker as far as the story goes or anything like that. Just an observation that it just seems a bit small there. But that could just be what the space that, you know, as far as the location goes, that they had on hand for it. And they used it the best they could. Um, for, uh, location work so far has been quite, well, I don't know, I, I kind of liked it. It's been quite um, nice to look at, bits and bobs yeah. that's been uh, thrown in. Obviously, it seems obvious to me, at least, uh, it's been pieced together from bits and bobs of different cities here and there and um, LAX is doubling up for um, the airport just north of Washington uh, I think it's north anyway memory serves dollars yeah and stuff like that so um, 
but you know it's just the fact that um complaints I've heard so far that you know there was so much that was done on a plane because the fact is if you've got people coming in and seeing this for the first time this is their first way into torchwood and to be quite honest it's been released in the states um over stars so it can be that the people who are watching this are not Torchwood regulars anyway. They're going to need this um, introduction, even if it like take, takes up even to oh. the next episode. Um, they're really going to need this. And for us that are um, the picky Who Torchwood fans who go into every minute detail, uh, this is their way in. Yeah, so, this uh, is opening it up to a, I think that, a whole new audience for a lot of people You know that that, that hadn't been exposed to it before, I believe. Because this this is then putting details in 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 place and that even where sort of endings that some people disagree with and didn't like the end scene in the mini which I love that you know they're in the United States they could have they could probably steal the biggest car they uh, wanted to and the car that the uh, go uh, running off in is a mini oh that's just fantastic yeah. uh, I like that, at that. It, uh, you know well, it's Glenn so comments about sort of. that. So, so don't you guys in the U.S. must all be driving big SUVs? And <laughs> she was quite disappointed. I, was, I thought that was fantastic. That it's just like a, a, a good joke. And um, but um, oh, it does sort of puts me back into sort of the running just before that. Okay, Gwen's last words are "Welcome to Torchwood." So, as in, welcome to our uh, way of life. Um, sort of meanings. If, Especially since CIA operatives won't be used to be the uh, used to being the ones that are getting hunted themselves. They usually are the hunters, not the hunted. But uh, getting back the way that um, know, Esther's um, character then mm-hmm. realizes she's been really set up, and uh, she she realizes as soon as her car doesn't work and she sort of starts ticking over. Uh, oops, well, that and uh, the, the money that was deposited into her bank account. To account count and uh, you know the phone call coming through that oh you got uh, a, a bank phone out oh you just got fifty grand how would you like to put it into investments blah 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 um, what I don't even have five grand on my account blah 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 and you know she starts sort of following the path and then um, has the sense of mind that uh, she knows that one of her colleagues is a bit dotty would say dotty uh, absent-minded because she's you know with any big firm doesn't matter if it's a CIA or um, your local production firm, there are people that are not let's say dotty, but maybe a bit lazy. So they'll leave their electronic pass for the doors uh, in their in their drawers, and uh, and trust me, uh, <laughs> from my work, I get to uh, you know see this and remind the people quite nicely. You shouldn't do stuff like that, but um, people do do this, and it's quite nice of a colleague to you know lend her pass. So she's had the frame of mind to get everything done. So. I like the way that worked, and you know, oh, she takes the uh, keys to the car and everything, and the way that she um, also um, deliberately, deliberately um, sort of distracted uh, the guy on the way out to the car she park. She sweet as well. talks him, doesn't she? Sweet yeah, just talking. sweet talks him the whole time. I mean, so far, I don't care what other people are thinking at the moment, but. Um, to be quite honest, she's grown on me quite nicely. Uh, she's obviously the nice girl who's in there to do sort of... She tries to do a normal job at the CIA, uh, which they're apparently... But the way that looks to me anyway, where they are, is 
the sort of thing that everybody thinks is happening at the CIA. They have a department which just looks at uh, all the media that's going out in the world, you know, blogs and uh, TV uh, appearances and such forth. So, you know, it's a, it's a good little setup. Uh, I'm rather enjoying it. And just, I just say to people out there, don't expect to go off at a rocket pace. The rocket pace will come, uh, I don't doubt it, it'll come later uh, when it really needs to matter. Uh, but at the moment, we're getting a nice build-up and the characterizations are being put in place. Uh, so we get an idea of who is who and what they possibly may later bring to the table. So, uh, oh, not forgetting uh, the Dr. Vera uh, as well. Um, she's a fantastic character. A fantastic character. You know, she uh, she's obviously cares in the right sort of, uh, right sort of way. She's there doing her character all sorts of justice. I mean, I can't say what American doctors are really like. I've, I've only ever had experience with Canadian doctors, and they were just nice people anyway. I don't know if American doctors are supposed to be like that or, you know, whatever, but um, she's got a level of suspicion enough uh, to want to be a part of what's going on. And, um, you know, she realizes there's something coming, and if they're not ready for it, uh, they're really going to be up... Uh, a certain creek without a paddle so yeah so far so good before we go any further we we should have played it dave was kind enough to put together some clips for us and as he always is and we always thank dave for that so uh we we kind of dived and it's my fault i should have played a clip before we started our review we kind of dived right into the review without um playing the first clip so uh before we go any further let's um let's hear some of from um, Torchwood episode two, Torchwood Miracle Day episode two rendition. They can't do this. I'm a British citizen on British soil. Yeah, well, you've been too busy watching aliens. The fact is, the Americans have been getting away with this sort of stuff. Hey, 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 what is that supposed to be? Criticism? And you, World War II. I'll take this. That's nothing, it's harmless. Well, then you won't mind me having it. Now we better get out of here while we still can. This thing's costing a fortune, and we've got governments on both sides of the Atlantic asking questions. How's that cut in your arm? I'll survive, I'm mortal, not dying. Well, it's like we all got switched, didn't it? Nothing to do with Jack if the wires got crossed. Everything mortal becomes immortal, so everything immortal becomes mortal. See? Sorry, Miss, Mr. Friedkin. I understand you're handling the Torchwood thing. I'm Esther Drummond, analyst. I was liaising with Rex Matheson. This is a clandestine matter now, not for the Directorate of Intelligence, understand? Yes, but... You're working closely with him? He's keeping you up to date? Yes, sir. Well, I'll bear that in mind. Thank you, Esther. I had no way of knowing Rex was going to pull that stunt. You know the way it works, Jack. Every time anyone ever gets close to you, nobody has a normal life again. And you know what really, and I mean it really pisses me off. What took you so long? I have to nearly explode before you turn up. Did you miss me? Yes. Let me ask you a question. What the hell is this thing? Huh? All it does is go bleep. So give it back to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'd like that. What does it do, measure how mortal you are? <laughs> Still don't believe me? Please. I don't think you actually know anything. So is anyone doing investigations on morphic fields? On the what fields? The Sheldrake theory. The passing of connective information through the process of morphic resonance. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Theory states that a bunch of monkeys on an island learn how to use a rock as a knife. And a bunch of monkeys on another island 10,000 miles away also learn how to use a rock as a knife because they're connected through a morphic field. 
And the amazing thing about the miracle is not that no one's dying. It's not that the human race has become immortal. It's that it happened to everyone at the same time. Don't you see? It was instantaneous. And that's a morphic event on a scale that I have never seen before. So whatever's happening to this planet, it is massive. It is massive. Well, I picked that clip because of that. uh, I hadn't caught on that uh, relevance of the fact that it happened overnight to everybody in the world. Uh, and It was mentioned, Dave, pre- uh, previously. No, I said I didn't, I didn't catch that. it. Yeah, no, I, sorry. I, I knew they said it, but what I mean is Jack explaining that that is a bigger, in some ways as big a question as why aren't they dying is, is the interconnectedness of it. Yeah, I mean... First of all, we we don't know how it's happening, or, and we don't know how it was implemented. So, it, w- however it was implemented, it it engulfed everyone. So, um, at once, you know, affected everyone. Yeah, I mean, I think Reese's descriptions, uh, description of it, the whole thing is basically, you know, spot on. You know, he's a, he may be outside Torchwood and, and I don't know, there's bound to be somebody out there who's going to say, why does he know? So why did he give that description? Because it's it's too much to come from that character, blah, blah, blah. But it's it's practically he has the right insight to the whole thing. Um, everybody's uh, mortal becomes immort- uh, immortal and Captain Jack becomes mortal, uh, practically. So you've got that sort of reversal of roles. Um, I think that, I think that might be a red herring myself, though. I've, I've got a feeling that is almost too simplistic. I don't, I don't know whether that's there for us to hang our hats on, as it were, only to have them I mean, blown I, off. I don't know. I don't really want to get into it at the moment until a series really develops. I've got a slight theory as, as, as where this whole sort of thing might have come from. And it was just sort of an odd coincidence that Captain Jack was brought back to uh, Earth, um, basically to protect Gwen, because the whole Torchwood thing was creeping up to the uh, up to the front, and he had to release the malware. And it's just at 22:36 when that whole thing happened. Uh, I'm not sure which is 22:36 UK time or wherever, but it was the same time through the time zones. Uh, you know, it's 2236, wherever it was, and then whatever the adjustments are for those time zones. Uh, but it just seems a little odd to me that this is, for me personally, that this has happened and the roles have been reversed. Uh, with, um, I'm just wondering. It's just sort of a little theory I ha- sort of have at the moment, so I won't okay. get into that. Theories are just speculation, and it's more review of this one episode. So I think it's got more to do with later bit in the story. Uh, then right. not just been obvious obvious stuff because there's a lot of stuff that'll be sort of uh, seems to be obvious stuff um, as to well, uh, things like uh, this drug firm uh, that's mentioned uh, very loosely by um, by Jilly later on. Well, we know the source of Cap and Jack's immortality was, um, you know, it, it stems back to Doctor Who, right? I mean, where he. Um, yeah. When when Rose, full of the TARDIS energy, or uh, you know, brought him back, you know, so he still had that that TARDIS juice in in him, you know, yeah, is our vor- assumption. The vortex, yeah, the, the, the vortex, vortex. Uh, the energy, of the vortex, basically all the yeah. um, uh, Artron energy. It was it was um, 
but it was a command she basically gave out at the end. But now we're going back into Doctor Who, which is really sidetracking. But yeah, I'm just thinking what happens if that's sort of okay. I'm, I'm going to have to go into speculation to to make this make sense. Um, what if is it later in the the story that that uh, whoever it was that got Captain Jack needed Captain Jack to come back so they could make this happen? Um, because they knew uh, through whatever means that this had happened, uh, whether it be through uh, actually finding the old Torchwood files and, and decoding or encrypting or whatever, and uh, they found a way through alien tech maybe to actually reverse the role through this so that they can get this to happen to, over the whole planet. I mean, it's just a little odd. We get this, the Jillian, the, the thing is, it's, for me at the moment, things seems to be hinging on Gillian's character. To one side, she's giving Oswald Danes uh, the PR sort of spin, uh, but then to Vera, she's saying she's a, a PR um, and representative of a drug agency uh, or a, a drug company. So, Well, she, she presents herself differently to two different people, doesn't she? Yeah. She represents yeah. herself as a personal manager to the Oswald Danes character, but then to the Doctor, she presents herself with a different card, one presumes. And she seems very anxious for them both to take that card. Uh, I kept wondering whether there was some sort of, uh, I don't know, chemical on it or something, psychic chemical, because she seemed very keen for both of them to take it. What we're going to do is we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and and this gives you time to put yourself, not that you need time to, just it's a, it's a matter of clicking a button <laughs> to put yourself in the queue. Uh, you can also, again, you can call in on to our show and uh, the number here is, let's see, for, it's... It's 724-444-7444. Yes, and the call ID is 110825. So you can call in, you can um, join in on the chat and uh, put yourself in the queue if you want to chime in and tell us what you thought about this episode or have other things to talk about pertaining this or even the the first episode. Uh, Before we do that, I want to remind everyone about... Audible, which is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. They have over 85,000 titles to choose from, and that covers every genre, be it business, thrillers, romance, of course, sci-fi and fantasy, comedy, and so much more. Audible titles will play on your iPhone. And by the way, speaking of iPhones, there there was an iPhone in this episode, and, and I spotted two iPads, too, for you tech-oriented people out there. Geeks amongst <laughs> yes. you. Yes. <laughs> So uh, Audible uh, selections will play on on those two devices as well as the Kindle and Android and, well, over 500 devices for listening anytime, anywhere. And for you listeners of Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 14-day trial so you have a chance to check them out and check out their service. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash British Sci-Fi. And that's all, you know, hyphen in the sci-fi. So, again, that's... uh, audibletrial.com slash British sci-fi for your free audiobook. And as always, we'd like to uh, make a recommendation and what we've been doing for this series of Torchwood reviews is selecting Torchwood titles. And to that end, one title, which is another early title, is called Slow Decay. And it's narrated by Bern Gorman, who played, what was his character's name again in, in Torchwood? Played the Doctor... Owen, Owen, right? Owen. Owen, Owen, yeah. And it's written by Andy Lane, and this is a little bit of it here. Owen bent over his autopsy table, rested a scalpel on top of the yellow pill in the table's centre, 
and pressed down gently, reaching out to a table on one side where he kept his surgical tools on a metal tray. He retrieved a pair of forceps. With these in his left hand, he could hold the pills steady while he gently drew the scalpel across the top of the pill. He left a fine incision behind. Something oily welled up through the incision. In less than a minute, he had removed the coating entirely, stripping it away from the thing that had been hidden inside. He picked up a pen-like device with a lens and a light on one end. He pointed it at the thing on the autopsy table and pressed a button on the side of the device. The plasma screen above his head faded within a few seconds into a high-definition close-up of the thing. Gwen put a hand to her mouth. You know what we're looking at, don't you? The thing was no more than a centimetre long and curled into a comma. It was charcoal in colour, with irregular blue stripes, and looked like three very small worms all joined together at one end. A tiny fuzzy cloud that might have been thousands of minute translucent fibres surrounded the free ends. The small teardrop of oily liquid that had surrounded and protected it was spreading out across the metal topography of the table. Jack nodded. Yeah, I do. It's an egg, Owen said. And that's a little bit from Slow Decay. It's a tortured title. It takes place, obviously, several years ago when Owen and company were still on board with Torchwood. So uh, that's something that you can choose as your selection. And just a little bit of the story on that is that it's uh, this, the story is about a new weight loss clinic that opens up in Cardiff. And uh, one of Gwen's friends has impressive results from it, you know, slimming down. And Reese wants to give it a try. But elsewhere, a um, ordinary woman with superhuman strength and extraordinary hunger is attacking people and eating her victims. So it's, um, as I don't know, the adipose will make a, an appearance in there. Yeah, not? not quite as cozy <laughs> as adipose, but yeah. There's a, and I have read this book. It's, oh, you have? Uh, the, yeah, it's the second of the, the, the first three Torchwood books that came mm-hmm. out back in 2007, written by Andy Lane. It's, it came out as a B, one of the BBC books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the others, was it Border Princes and Another Life? Last show we we um, something in the water. We, we did another life. We 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 um, featured that. So um so yeah, that's cool. Uh, again, you can get this, or you can choose any selection. It doesn't have to be this torture title. It doesn't have to be any torture title. You can go to again. It's audibletrial.com slash British Sci-Fi, and you can select from anything that they have to offer for your free audiobook. And even if you decide not to keep it, you still keep your free audiobook for is yours to keep. So check it out. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash British Sci-Fi. We have, uh, we're going to play another clip from this episode and then take your, your calls. Excuse me, that food is for everyone. Food just for guests. Right, but it's meant to be shared? I spent six years in solitary confinement. Well, you're not in prison anymore. Oh, sweetheart, I'm free on the most beautiful technicality. When the world stretched to a breaking point, who knows when it's all going to snap back. And besides, if I stay a free man, who will give me a job? You? No. So, excuse me if I take food where I can find it. I hope you choke. Hey, could we have something to drink? I am not allowed to talk to you. Give it to us silently. They can have water. It's okay, I can supervise it. Are you aware of how many people you've upset just by walking free? I'm sorry. 
Excuse me? <laughs> I'm so sorry. What good is sorry, Mr. Danes? Is it gonna do anything for Mrs. Cabina every morning when she wakes up? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Julie Kitzinger, Mr. Danes, I'm something the town spotter. That was the most amazing performance. You have what we call a high media quotient. Oh, everybody hates me. No. No, that interview has you trending on Twitter and the hashtag says forgive. You're really very good. Of course, there'd be a fee, but I'd only take 10% of your earnings. Good luck. It's 10% nothing. You didn't get paid for that? It was a news show. They don't pay. <laughs> Oswald. <laughs> okay, that's really very funny. You mean you didn't, you just didn't make a cent? Really? Okay, that is positively hilarious. Well, now I wish I could stay. I need it in Washington. You hold on to my card, sir. Mr. Deans, oh, I thought you left, sorry. Um, but Mr. Tepper sent me. Oprah Winfrey's people are on the phone. She wants to talk to you. She asked for you personally. She wants you on the show. Looks like I'm doing fine without you. Mm-hmm. All the same. Keep the card. I think not. I think you must be suspicious of that woman. Only wanting 10%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's, um... Yeah. Obviously, uh, there's. I know she just doesn't really come off with someone that you can really trust wholeheartedly. There. <laughs> All right. Well, we're gonna go to our queue, and first up in the queue is um, Mr. Benjamin Elliott. Hello, Benjamin. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, I should say. Or. Ah, good morning, Lewis. How are you? Actually, I think this is my first time on the on Hitchhikers show. Yeah, we we this is I <laughs> realized that once once I said that I realized <laughs> I realized that. Yes, hey, good to be here. Yeah, I've been watching the new Torchwood season. Uh, one thing of note is, um, if you're watching this on Stars, a lot of people are probably using the on-demand version to watch, and they actually forgot to put the high-definition version of episode two up on stars. On the on, on demand, you mean? Yes. <laughs> so it's a little bit interesting. Right now you have episode one and episode three, and if you want episode two, you have to see the standard definition version. doesn't look quite as good, you know. So uh, even if they haven't remedied that, that, that's still the case? You know, I, I could understand it maybe has- a mistake being made that, that week, but I thought they would that's something that they would fix before the following episode goes out. Well, when I checked yesterday, episode three was up, two was not yet. Hmm. I'm sure at some point they'll fix it, but not yet. <laughs> so, Are you using the on-demand? Are you, are you um, watching it that way? Well, I, I've been torn on the matter. I've wanted to watch it on broadcast because I've been a big believer in that. But Star's the premium channel. And you expect certain things out of a premium channel. You expect a higher standard. And the broadcast version of Stars isn't doing what you'd expect for a premium channel. You shouldn't have um, voiceovers taking out the credits and uh, messages appearing on the screen on a premium channel. Yeah. You can almost forgive it on a regular channel, but if you're paying 10 to $15 a month based on your package, you expect more. Yeah, The on-demand version, 
is completely clean and is what you'd kind of expect. So I want to watch the on-demand, but I have to be careful in case they um, forget to put up another episode. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what my service provider for um, it, to get the on-demand, you have to be first a already a, a, a subscriber to Stars, and then plus... In addition to that, you have to pay, I believe it's like $5 a month for just to get the on-demand service. Is, are, is your provider, your, your service provider, um, television, whatever that be, cable or satellite, is that how it's working? Or are you getting on-demand automatically just being a subscriber? My provider puts the on-demand, uh, includes the on-demand, no additional cost, assuming you have their cable box. Okay, that's great. And since Xfinity does just about everything else wrong for cable services, uh, on-demand is the one service they do right, and they do it very, very well, which they need to, considering mm-hmm. how many other things do wrong. But, <laughs> you know, so obviously, if you don't have the on-demand, then it's even more important that stars do a better job in presentation than regular stations. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's really a topic for another show. Uh, I'm enjoying the show so far. It's definitely a slower build. I think someone mentioned the concept of classic Doctor Who where we're being introduced to the characters slowly and the stories coming along at a gradual pace. And I know I've mentioned in other places that it feels like it feels like uh, if you turn the novel into a season of a television show instead of a movie. Mm-hmm. Like uh, with Harry Potter, uh, when you do the movies, lots of stuff gets cut out to make a two to two and a half hour film. But if you were doing it as a TV series, including all those events, uh, a TV show of a Potter season might take 10, 11 episodes. And some of the episodes would seem like stuff is taking its time because you're moving at the book pace. And it really feels like we're going at a book pace on this show. And yeah. at the end of the season, we'll be able to judge if it was worth it. Well, right now it's intriguing. Yeah, I mean, on on, on our live shows for Dr. Upachuk, we often say that, you know, it's difficult to review episode one of a two-part episode because we haven't seen this haven't seen how it concludes and i think um miracle day is similar to children of earth is a 10 episode a 10-part story really in a sense so what we're seeing i mean we're we're reviewing each episode but what we're seeing is just pieces of an of the pie and we haven't reviewed you know once the whole pie is presented to us then we can give our opinion of the pie but right now we can only review one slice at a time now, of course, I do have a lot of sympathy for people who get frustrated because uh, if it takes 10 weeks to find out if this was a good story, then the quality required needs to be really good because what, if, if we're committing 10 weeks, it has to have a better payoff than you could do with just a one or two episode story. Yeah, I, I think we have to, I think by midway, we need to know exactly, you know, if this is really where, you know, something that's exciting or not, you know, the payoff, I think, needs to come even sooner than that. It's sort of, think of it, um, if, if you make a comparison to like, let's say, the original Star Wars trilogy, you know, it was by the Empire Strikes Back, you you know, you were, you know, 
deep into it and <laughs> you were anxious to see how it was all going to conclude. And um, yeah. and I think by the midpoint of this, you know, somewhere towards the, you know, the end of the second third of 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 this sh- you know, story, we need to know, you know, where are we going and, and if this is really, you know, what it's cracked up to be. Yeah. And really, um, I'm going to try to avoid uh, hitting other people's uh, thoughts, uh, to avoid covering other people's ground. But I actually find the Rex Harrison character and certain other characters who are injured, I find it the most interesting parts of the story. Uh, because... Honestly, it is a concept that we haven't faced that often before in Doctor Who or in too many other fictional, uh, these science fiction concepts, because this guy has been injured, and they don't seem to be confident that he's going to heal properly. Now, one of the scariest things you have is when you've been injured and you're not recovering properly, and you're worried that you're not going to get back to the way you were, and you could be stuck in whatever uh, debilitated state you're in for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary enough concept if you're thinking that you could be around for 70, 80 years and you're in whatever whatever age you're in at the time you're injured. Well, for him, it could be eternity. You know, if yes, the, if you can't die, and suppose that you're stuck, wounded. Suppose he's bleeding out of his chest for millennia or beyond. That is really, really scary. And in my opinion, you can forgive a lot of his stupid behavior. Uh, at least stupid behavior as of the end of episode two on the fact that if he's figured out what's in store for him, he's got to be horrified. And we're we're seeing from the discussions and all the talky stuff, and talky stuff we might not see in the film, they're looking at it as they could have, most if not all the world, could be stuck on pain medication because they think that people with super strains of diseases Everyone could be sick at once without cures. And right now, we have some people sick, other people are well, and healthy people can take care of sick people. Sick people could get well, might have to take care of those other people when they get sick in the future. But imagine everyone being sick, everyone living, going around but well, we've seen in, in, in this episode, we see that CIA, that double agent or whatever, that CIA agent. I don't recall her name, but she, her head was turned yeah. <laughs> turned around and broken. Yeah. Her neck well, was broken. Dollhouse for people paying attention. Uh, it's just and she just continues to live where if it wasn't for the miracle day, you know, that miracle, whatever you want to call it, he, she would be obviously be dead. But she yeah, continues. One of the concepts of hell is that you have people living out a lie, living out in a world, but essentially all diseased and riddled and horrific parodies. In a sense, if this story were taken out to logical conclusion and the miracle never ended, because the world they're presenting us, 
not a world regulated by God or whatever, making things better. But the world they're presenting us is a world where you could wind up living in what many people would consider to be hell. So, you know, it, it, I'm finding it interesting seeing the betrayal here, and I, I'm willing to give them the benefits of the doubt. And, and you, as you say, by about the time we get to episode five or episode six, we're going to want to have something more concrete. We're going to want to know where the story is going. But for now, um, I'm I'm interested because I'm interested in issues, and I think I understand the issues more than I would have a few years ago. And it just it's gripping me in a way here. So. I respect it if people aren't gripped, and I gather the stars ratings, at least in the premiere night, dropped for episode two compared to episode one. So who knows if the show is actually catching fire with the U.S. audience or not. It could be a misfire, at least in audiences. We'll see soon. Hmm. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it pans out. It's it's as you said the the concept is interesting. I mean, when we initially you know heard about it, you know you're like, oh well, no one dies. What's so bad about that? Especially if anyone that's maybe have lost loved ones in their life, you know, you you immediately you know think of it as a good thing. But this series has clearly defined all the negatives of that, and you know, and that that you know why death is in a sense needed. All right. Well, um, any would you give a um, a a Weevil rating to this episode? As far as uh, similar to Tartar's Groans on Doctor Who Podshock, how many Weevils would you give this out of five? Well, it since since it doesn't have its own, you know, yeah, sort of have the the poisoning of Jack. I do think you need something in the piece itself that has to be an actual. Pl- you have to have at least some sort of individual plot within the episode as well as the season arc. And I don't think the individual plot in this one was that great. So uh, for the two, if you were putting two episodes together, it would be uh, four weevils. Just this one, three and a half weevils, which means that uh, four half weevil. Ouch. <laughs> we should just three ex- weevils and one sick one. <laughs> Yeah, I, so I, I guess um, the weevils aren't affected because uh, they explained in episode one was just the humans that are being uh, um, affected by this miracle day that insects and other species aren't, you know, in quote, enjoying the the non-death, you know, miracles. So we have to assume that weevils are mortal. And, and for anyone that's listening now that maybe are just joined into, you know, to Torchwood with this new series and haven't seen series one and two, and you may be wondering what the hell is a weevil, <laughs> they played, <clears throat> they, they, they were pretty, they're, I guess, aliens that are on Earth that um, played a, um, I don't want to say a significant role, but they were, they were present. They were, um, they were, they were very much present in the first series of Torchwood and a little bit in series two. And then they've, since then we've haven't really seen weevils again, but, um, that's the origin of why, you know, when Torchwood first came out, we needed to have a rating system. We couldn't use Tardis Groans when we used, um, how many, you know, weevils. <laughs> anyway, so that's a little background there. That's it. The weevils are behind all this. 
<laughs> All if right. it wasn't for the weevils, where would we be? Weevils wobble, but they don't fall down. Oh, <laughs> keep that joke back. I was trying not to... Oh, Louis, you had to go and say it, did you? Yeah, yeah I'm sorry if I stole your thunder there, Graham. <laughs> I was trying my best not to say the joke. Yeah, yeah, I know, but someone had to. You know, it, it was the elephant in the room if we didn't, you know, say it. Yeah. All right, well, thank That's you. The Mufan. <laughs> elephant, we're in touch with Mufan. Mufan, we. Thanks again, it's Benjamin. Okay. And uh, yeah, cheers, hopefully you can join us next week and uh, hopefully um, we'll have more to say then. All right. We're going to play one last clip and then I think we have one last person in the queue and we'll wrap up the show. So this is um, and again, thanks to Dave. Uh, another clip from episode two of Torchwood Miracle Day. I'm Dr. Vera Wars. Panels are on the first three floors. Pick one and join in. I saw a man who was in that explosion at the CIA. No way his heart was pumping oxygen to his brain, but he could move. He could see. People are just living. Why does Howard at Mass General keep asking for more antibiotics? Who knows? Mass General has plenty of supplies. He's right. The human race has become germ incubators. Hospital beds are filling up because the people who should die don't, including people with infections. And if we keep giving them antibiotics... Infections will become more and more resistant. Give it six months and drug-resistant organisms will be everywhere. I look like hell. <laughs> yeah, you look exactly what we're concerned about here. I don't like the timing of this. Someone wants to take Torchwood out. You heard about anything going on with Rex? Two men are in his office. One was getting his hard drive. The other is going through his files. It's nothing to do with me. We've closed on her desk, but there's no sign of her, sir. She can't get anywhere without her ID. You drive safe now. Oh, I will. You give him a drink. I mean, what was in it? Are you saying I poisoned him? No one's poisoned anyone. Hold on. You went to supervise him. That's what you said. Supervise. Who needs supervising pouring a drink? What did you supervise exactly? So now you're accusing anyone. It's either you or the big gay steward. So my money's on you. I'm not gay. Rex, please search up. Yes, I carry poison. I run a lot of agents. You never know when they might need it. Because it's how do we cure arsenic poisoning? I don't know. <laughs> Final ingredient. Touch of cyanide. It's gonna be all right. No, it won't. Don't let her do this. She'll kill you. Shut up. Here we go. Whoa. That was your last chance. Yeah? What are you gonna do about it? If you're the best England's got to offer, then God help you. I'm Welsh. Okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's Esther. We are being set up. They... They cleaned out your office, and there's $50,000 in my bank account. Whoever's doing this, I bet they'll be waiting for you when you arrive. Get out. Come on and follow me. Hey, what sort of getaway car is this? I thought you Americans all had these big SUVs. This is rubbish. Get in, get in. Where are we going? Just anywhere. All right, let's get to... Uh... A familiar voice, you may be familiar with him if you listen to our live shows of Doctor Who Podshock. And I should remind you, if you are a Doctor Who fan and you'd like to uh, listen to Doctor Who Podshock, uh, another show that we produce, head over to podshock.net and uh, you can find information there. It's also available in iTunes, so uh, check it out, Doctor Who Podshock. And last but not least, Mr. Darth Skeptical. 
Hello, Darth, and welcome to the show. Hello, Lewis. How are you? Greetings and salutations, Darth. Indeed, indeed. Well, um, this was a, um, a a really good episode in that um, it made me very excited about the direction that the characters were taking. I think it cemented uh, a notion that I had in the first episode that this Torchwood cast is infinitely superior to anything we've had before uh, in a main Torchwood cast. I mean, Rex Harrison just blows the water or, or blows the other two male regulars that we've had in the past out of the water. Yeah, um, I, I just... Much just to be clear, I think it's uh, Rex Matheson. I think it is. Oh, just, sorry, not Rex Harrison. I, no, uh, Benjamin Rex said Matheson. that too. I just. I, I, <laughs> sorry. No, no, yeah, sorry. it's all right. Um, it's all gone with the wind anyway. It is sort of that, even though that has nothing to do with Rex Harrison. But anyway, um, the uh, yeah, he's he's way better than Owen. He's way better than uh, Yanto. I mean, he's a much better foil for Jack because he is opposite and in no way going to be a possible love interest for Jack. I mean, he is just opposed to Jack, and therefore it, he takes um, nothing for granted about the character. And, and what's great about this series, as opposed to previous series, is that Jack is not only literally more mortal than he's been before, but he is um, narratively not the god figure. He is not... Um, you know, somebody who is ordering people around. I mean, that's one of the things you get really clearly in episode, in series one and two of Torchwood is the sense that Jack is the boss, and when push comes to shove, if he tells you to do something, you do it, and that's the end of the day. That's not really what's going on in the dynamic between mm-hmm. Rex and um, uh, Jack now. And I think that makes you know that combination really effective for storytelling. Um the other thing is, you know, I will take Esther Drummond over Tosh any day of the week because, you know, Tosh was fairly blah, and I don't know how much of that is the actor, I don't know how much of that is the, um, the writing. You know, I, I remember that there were certain episodes of Torchwood where I really liked Tosh, but, um, you know, Esther, especially in this episode, the the actor, you know, Alexis Hayman, is just... Fantastic at conveying a really attractive blend of panic and courage in the same moment. Uh, that's that is especially what she does in this episode, and you know the fact that she keeps going forward, keeps trying to avoid uh, the doom that is impending, is fairly amazing considering she is just a desk worker. Um. And, and there's more about that certainly in, in the next episode as well. But but there's something about that character that it, that is multifaceted that has some nice layers going on. And and the actor herself is really hitting the marks on giving us a a, a strong, interesting character to look at. Um, and so I think in general what this episode. Oh, and, and of course, we can't really go away without talking about Juarez. Juarez, who just knocks it out of the park in this episode. And I'm not entirely sure why she's not, why the actor playing her is not um, at the top of the credits. I mean, she's always listed as a special guest star, which is, you know, good. But, I mean, I guess that means she's not going to be in every episode. But she certainly feels like 
throughout the first three episodes, in fact, she feels like she is absolutely, uh, you know, a member of the full cast. So, uh, I don't know. But, th- but this episode, you know, she takes control. She's got this um, very interesting way of, of, of taking control. It's not, you know, it, it is logic-based. It is, here are the arguments for why we need to do this. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's very a very attractive picture of a smart doctor. Um, and especially a... You know, an American doctor, you've got this, this layer of bureaucracy about the whole thing, you know, which is true in American hospitals today, that you have to be not just competent in your area of um, you know, medical knowledge, but you also have to know how to play the system, how the system works. And, and the fact that the script is addressing that and that she is competent in the area of finding a way to make the system move is really interesting, you know, because uh, you don't see that kind of thing too much in American medical dramas where you have, you know, a doctor who is portrayed as being the administrator. You see it sometimes. I mean, occasionally, in, for instance, St. Elsewhere, there was some, some, some discussion of hospital administration. But what's interesting here is that she's actually managing to make that um, Interesting, dramatically interesting. And I say she, of course, I also mean the writers are imbuing her with that ability. But, um, you, you know, you're throwing in the mixture of Jilly Kissinger in there, too, who is, you know, say, bringing up the very valid point that it's not just about, um, you know, being right. It's about being popular enough to have power to manipulate things. You know, and that's an interesting point that I would never have actually expected of anything in the Doctor Who universe. Um, but, but this notion that PR plays a part in making a doctor's life easier is a fascinating uh, little wrinkle to put in there. Yeah, and I, th- so I think you're right about the pronoun, yeah. pronoun she because it's written by Doris Egan this this episode. So. Well. It's, that's true too. Yeah, uh, and and of course, it, I guess you know we should talk about her for a moment. It does make sense, maybe, why this episode has a lot of the Doctor in it because, of course, she Doris Egan is is was a writer for House, so it's not like she has no experience mm-hmm. with writing hospital dramas. But you really see that this is, you know, sort of Doctor heavy, and 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 that the issues here mm-hmm. are largely medical. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that, and, and they that do flesh out her character. They, they flesh out her character very well, as you said here. You know where right. she she was pretty much a in a supporting role last episode, but I think in this episode she's definitely in a starring role. Absolutely, I mean she's she's in, in control of everything that's not in an airplane in this episode. Um, so yeah, there's really good stuff there. Um, and I have to say, you know, the central piece of this deal is the. Uh, you know, World War Three. That is Doctor Who episode World War Three um, mm-hmm. incident of trying to put together over the phone a chemical solution to a problem. Right? And we saw that in Russell T Davies writing yeah. back in 2005. We see it here again. Uh, it's also kind of like Apollo 13. You know, where mm-hmm. you know Gene Cernan is okay. You have these things on the ship. What can you do to get them back home? Same situation. It's exciting. It's interesting. It's it's fun, little dramatic moment, but it makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I mean, I knew going through the thing. I'm like, they don't even have a tablespoon on the thing. They don't even have, you know, a way to measure 
anything that they're I, putting in yeah, this cauldron. I, you have to take a lot of artistic <laughs> license there. The, I mean, they're, 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 they're looking for an orange tube, and, and somehow, you know, the, the the steward and stewardesses know, you know, that it's an orange, you know, th- you know just stuff like that was right. a little far-fetched. And, Absolutely. And then... The, the, and, and then... The, the, Sorry, and I mean, obviously, they don't have sterile stuff there. How can you measure? How, I mean, you just taking these raw chem- stuff and putting it in someone's blood <laughs> vessels. I mean, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous. It, at the same time that it's fun, it is also sublimely ridiculous. Yeah. And and then you know to to top it all off, you got eight people on a plane. I guess is that even the right number? Might be six, seven. I don't know. On a plane, and oh, one of them happens to be a type one diabetic. That's incredibly against the uh, you know there are a lot of diabetics in the country, but not type one, not insulin taking. There aren't your odds of having eight people on a plane and one of them be a diabetic that needs you know needle administrated insulin is yeah. pretty bad. And then the guy pulls out a needle that's not even a diabetic needle. Yeah, I, I, I mean it, know that, that, that as well. It's a plain IM needle. That's yeah. not a you know. Whatever. It was much larger than what an insulin needle would be, and they and I'm assuming they, they did that so for you know so it could I don't know it could be seen on screen better I don't know whatever. Right, and and I'll have it. It's you know extremely lucky that he's using a needle at all, as opposed to like a you know one of those I am I mean one of those um those insulin pin things that have you know it's yeah. simple They're it pressing. has no yeah. yeah you can't you can't pull it apart or whatever. Um, but, you know, despite the fact that that's incredibly silly, it was exciting. It was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um, if for no other reason than to see Jack vulnerable again, I mean, that was kind of fun. Um, and because it gives Gwen some, you know, uh, I guess a bonding moment with him or whatever. I will say in episode two, though, by and large, I, I kind of lost the character of Gwen. Like, she doesn't resemble in episode two, particularly, you know, the, certainly she's not at all like the Gwen of season one. Maybe that's a good thing. She's certainly not the Gwen of, you know, late season two even. She's arguably like the Gwen of Children of Earth, maybe, but she still seems really quite harsh. Um, but she had some great lines, you know, the, the line that they've been showing us forever and ever and ever about, you know, I'm not English, I'm I'm Welsh, punch. You know, that's a great line. Um, But I still thought she was a little strident, a little... She she was by far, for me, of the regulars, the least attractive of them in this episode. And I I don't quite know why I have a a problem with it. She should have a baby wrenched away from her. (laughs) Absolutely. There are are a lot of things that make sense for why she's a little bit harsher than normal. It can be rationalized, but at the same time... I guess I just felt like, wow, this character over here is really interesting. This character over here is great. Jack is finally a little bit more interesting, um, you know, a little bit more measured. You know, Behrman's playing him a little bit more understated, you know, so it's not, you're not getting the feeling that he's going to break out in the song at any moment. Um, and and then Gwen was just really, I felt like, in a way, this is probably not fair, but I kind of felt like Eve Miles was, Going a little bit over the top and trying to portray, you know, her impression of Sigourney Weaver in Aliens. You know, she was trying to do the macho girl thing mm. a little bit too much. And, you know, it, it is a little bit weird because, you know, as we get into episode three, she's not quite 
she's back to what I would consider to be the normal register of that character. But they've got a good point. I mean, she is at that moment under unusual amounts of stress. Um, but but still, you get that you do get a lovely moment for Torchwood fans where there's at least some discussion of why the hell did you leave me? What you know? Don't you understand what you did, Jack, by going away and you know by coming back? Now my life is all in ruins again, and that's nice. Um, although, you know, you can kind of see in the first two episodes, maybe a little bit more here, that Jack is, you know, sort of being assigned some of the qualities that RTD loved to put into the Doctor. You know, this notion of wherever you go, there's trouble that follows you, you know, which is, you know, straight yeah. out of Rose, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, and, and that's another thing is, um, you know, in these first two episodes, even though this one technically not written by, well, I guess not technically not written by RTD, um, you do get a lot of RTD-isms coming through. You know, you do have what is essentially a, a, a reprise of um, World War Three. you know, with this little make a bomb thing or make a solution to yeah. the problem over we, the phone thing. Yeah. Um, you you do see in episode one, you do see, you know, that, that, that first line that Jack has when he steps out from the shadows, you know, come with me. Well, that's straight from, you know, Fires of Pompeii. Um, yeah. you, you do see some things that are going through the episodes that are very much RTD set pieces or RTD uh, archetypes, and that's fine. I like RTD, so that's fine. It's just interesting, you know, how it it seems that it, his name is so stamped on there, or his style is so stamped on that you can say, oh, this is written and influenced by RTD, absolutely. Couldn't be anybody else. Um, but, you know, a lot of good things that are going on in this episode. I do think that um, this would have been more successful Successful had it been a two-hour movie, mm-hmm. you know, episode Absolutely. one, episode one, episode two, jam them together, make it two hours, expand it a little bit more than what you got. Maybe throw on the first five or ten minutes of episode three, so that you got a nice two-hour block, and boom, you know, because I think it it might be contributing. It, well, it, it is contributing to what people are saying about it going slowly that you know you're only you get to the end of episode two and you still got Gwen saying welcome to Torchwood well we should have been welcome to Torchwood after week one and then and then go forward into the the proper part of the adventure um yeah, I, I took it at the end of episode one where the helicopter was, you know, brought down and they smiled at each other. To me, that was a welcome to Torchwood type of moment. And, you know, so this seemed to be sort of like, oh, well, we're, we're carrying that motto on, you know, that into episode two again. Yeah. That's becoming I mean, a drinking game. Kind of. I mean, I do think that episodes one and two seem to be designed to say the word Torchwood so many times within the nature of the script that you are left unambiguous about what Torchwood is. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it is overkill on the simple word Torchwood. Um, but, you know, these are minor faults. I mean, really, seriously, I, I think at the end of the day, the majority of people in the United States are going to watch this thing on DVD. They really, really are. I mean, this is, uh, this is all about 
getting it to the DVD stage. And when you you know watch, you'll then be able to control it and say, okay, I'm going to watch episodes one and episodes two tonight, and you won't even think anything about it. I think historically this isn't going to make a big uh, any amount of difference. And I also think that you know this is something that is firmly being made for people who've never seen Torchwood whatsoever. And I do think that for them, this is fine. This is even better than fine. This is completely interesting, completely captivating, well-paced, revealing just enough of things. Um, and I think, you know, especially if we get to, you know, episode three, that you are starting the main proper part of the the story by that point, a lot of interesting revelations that are going on in that episode. And I think ultimately we'll look back and we'll say, well, why were we complaining that it maybe was going slow? We were only complaining because we know what Torchwood is. We're well experienced with it. We're well versed in it. And so we don't need that. Now, one thing that we do need, you know, as uh, long-term viewers is why did Jack go away? I mean, we kind of have an idea why he went away. Not really. And why did he not come back sooner? We certainly don't know anything about how long exactly he was gone or why he chose that length of time. And I think that what is interesting in the layering here um, of these initial episodes is we're getting that part for us fans dropped in a little bit each time. And that's an interesting thing to follow for long-term fans, even though we might groan a little bit about how long it's sort of taking to do the introduction but again this it's not strictly aimed at long-term viewers oh yeah of course yeah yeah and and you find how would you uh rate this uh how would you finalize your summarization of this episode um you know again i do kind of think of these first two episodes together and i think together they're i think together there are five i mean as a way to start it yeah they're fine uh, five, let's say four and a half because the technical aspects of episode two, the air flight yeah. thing, whatever we're going to call that, that is ridiculous. But it's still fun, so it's not like take off a whole point. But sure, four and a half, I give and, it that. And the the casting and the chemistry between the the characters. Wow. That's are, a five. Yeah, that's a five. That's a definite, definite five. That is the strongest part of the whole deal. I think is the the amazing way I think that these characters who are not formally even up to the point of two and not really that much in three, not formally working together, you know. But nevertheless, there is a chemistry between all of these people, even with the guest stars. I mean, even you know Dyken, whatever her name is, um, Dyken. Uh, ah, I forgot her last name. The Nepalese woman who plays the the double agent. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I know who uh, you're talking about. Like in Lyman, I think it's I forget what the character's name is. But anyway, even even her as a, you know, just a guest star, um, you know, you still have to look at that as essentially, you know, midnight, I suppose, mm-hmm. of, you know, a, a cast put together in a confined space. How does that cast relate to each other? She's still, you know, she's great, you know, yeah. inter- interacting really well with everybody in it. There's not, there's not a, a bit of this cat. Wayne Knight, oh my God, he's fabulous. Um, there's not a bit of the casting here that is at all bad. And that's very, very encouraging. Well, once again, Darth, I thank you for your input. Uh, always interesting. Thank you. All right. Thanks again. We're going to get, we have two other people that we're going to get in very briefly, but we have to keep it brief because we're running long. First up is, uh, 
Mr. Tim Drury. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the show. Oh, hello, Lewis. Um, well, um, uh, well, I didn't come on last week, but I'll, I'll briefly say I didn't. There was there was stuff I did like about episode one of Miracle Day, but if people had listened to my own podcast, you'd think I hated it. <laughs> I went off on one on a bit of a rant on that one. But what did uh, you think of episode two? Episode two. Um, I, th- I think the consensus from people is it's thin on plot, but I, I oddly for me it felt more like Torchwood than episode one did. Mm, I yeah. don't quite know why, but it, it did. Um, I mean, as, as someone who's over the years watched both the A-Team and MacGyver, I think I kind of, even though I was sitting there thinking, this is a bit ludicrous, I was sort of enjoying the whole gathering ingredients thing, but I was I was um, with Darth and watching it and going, that's the sort of plot you only ever see on TV. You never hear on the news, someone was saved today by someone doing A, B, and C <laughs> to find various ingredients and make a drug. So, yeah. Um, it did have a very good ending to the episode, though, because uh, they, they get off the plane uh, and... Um, Literally, um, Gwen kicks ass, doesn't she? <laughs> um, that, that was um, yeah. that was certainly good to see. And um, as I did say in the text, this is going to be a series of bullet points, and one of the visual things that um, uh, sticks with me. And um, if Chip from Two Minute Time Lord is, is is listening, this is something I said to him on Twitter in in the week because he he said it on his own review. Um, the uh, Oriental Lady. Did you say she was from Nepal, Darth? That actress. Oh. Anyway, but um, rather than die because Miracle Day has happened, she turns into what what um, Chip of Two Minute Time would called a backwards-headed zombie. <laughs> I, 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 I tweeted him in the week and said that should be on either your next galley ribbon or some kind of t-shirt or something. Yeah, well, her neck was broken, so... Uh, we yeah, made I think it, those effects yeah, were a bit suspect, especially when she's walking in the middle of the road. Looked totally CGI'd and yeah. probably obviously was. But. Well, obviously, they, they couldn't really do that to the actress and have a live, so <laughs> it's... But I know what oh, you're saying, oh, Dave. Yeah. I, I, I think they're, you know, they have to... You can s- almost see through her. Yeah, they they had to space the effects and the budget across ten episodes. So, um, I think we lost D- Tim. His uh, phone icon went dim. So, but uh, okay. But we thanked him for his input, and uh, we're going to get to um, last but not least, Mr. Mark Goodacre. Hello, Mark. Welcome. Well, let's we get him on the show I'll there. Guy. Welcome be, uh, back to the show. Yes, I'm, I'm here. Hello. Yeah, good to be back again. A few more people in the room this week. Um, just brief, because I know that it's uh, getting towards the end. But, uh, yeah, um, the only thing I probably want to add is no one's really mentioned what, to me, was the most emotional bit of the whole show, which is that extraordinary scene where Gwen loses the baby to uh, to Reese, And there's that harrowing feel of the baby being taken away. And it reminded me... I don't know if anyone knows the old uh, like afternoon play from the 60s, uh, Kathy Come Home, where you have that kind of you know iconic uh, thing with uh, directed by Ken Loach. And there, the, the Kathy 
gets the baby taken out of her hands by the social services, and it's one of the great traumatic mm. moments in TV. And I thought it evoked that for me as the baby, you know, is taken away. And that, for me, really does um, explain Gwen's character throughout the entire episode. You know, she needs that in order for us to be able to understand what her attitude is on the, on the flight. She has to be that annoyed with Captain Jack and that annoyed with Torch, that annoyed with the whole situation and everything. So there was something pretty, pretty dramatic, pretty emotional about that, I thought. And I, I thought, actually, I thought Gwen was probably the heroine of this whole, this whole episode, really. The, the, the only other things that I probably just want to mention briefly, um, perhaps because they haven't been mentioned enough by others, is, is one, just how much Captain Jack has receded into the background for the time being. I mean, this is certainly not the Captain Jack show anymore. You know, I mean, sometimes Torchwood in the past could remind you a bit of something like Angel, you know, where you've got, you know, the brooding, dark, weird character and then his Scooby gang. That is really not the case with this. And, uh, and I think that's pretty exciting writing the way that's being done. We're rediscovering his character. You know, for long-time fans of the show, we're, we're kind of working out what he's been doing, what his reactions are to what happened in Children of Earth, you know, and... So that's pretty exciting. And then to take, he's effectively taken out of the episode largely as a character because of the, you know, the, the business of him being poisoned. So that makes him even less, uh, you know, kind of major of a character. So, you know, I kind of like that too. Um, well, yeah, I, I think Darth had touched upon that too, that, that he's, um, uh-huh. it, you know, he's not in the position of power that he had previously seen where he, you know, basically whatever he says goes. And now we're dealing with um, Rex Matheson as well. And, and there's that there, there to uh, kind of their attempt to control the situation are kind of clashing with each other. So it's going to be interesting. And, and we, without giving anything away. And to be honest, I haven't even seen episode three, so I, I can't give anything away, but we see that in the, in the trailer for the next episode that, you know, um, and again, this isn't giving anything away because it's in the trailer that they're going to bring him on to Torchwood. They're going to bring the, the, the character Rex and all that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see that dynamic, you know, between the two characters, how that's going to play out and who's going to, um, there's going to, if there's going to be a power struggle there. Right, agreed. I mean, it's always, it's always interesting where you have several alpha males and several alpha females in the same in the same show and I think we've got that in this in a way we didn't have it in classic Torchwood because the closest to being a rival to Jack was uh, was Gwen and uh, here you know she's kind of assuming an all you know big heroine sort of role maybe just just one just to big it up as well for um, the actress that plays Esther Drummond I think she's fantastic mm-hmm. and I, I love that that role. It reminds me of um, Lois. I think I mentioned this last time, but it still it really reminds me of Lois from Children of Earth. The the kind of yeah. the innocent, clever, um, you know, person discovering, having to put their job on the line a little bit. And I think we're really going to see her, you know, come through more as the episodes go on. I I think she's a brilliant creation. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, if we I, can't have Lois back, then Esther Drummond, you know, will do very nicely. I think she's a nice contrast to Gwen, where Gwen would, you know, you see her on the plane and, you know, no, I'm, I'm Welch and she kicks, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, that other agent, whatever. So that's something that you wouldn't see Esther do. But I, I like the fact that her character, even though she's a CIA agent, she seems a little more frailer but not weaker you know it's just um mm-hmm. i think it's, her strengths are in other areas mm-hmm. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, she's great, and I'm I'm loving the you know the the redhead character and and seeing what on earth is is happening there. She's a fascinating character. But uh, I realise time's short, so I'll just uh, say uh, five uh, weevils for me. I, I think this is still for me really hitting a home run. I think this is an excellent episode. Uh, I the, the only thing is I'm just I suppose to agree with. Um, Ask about the way that people are going to access this with DVDs and so on. I do wonder a little bit whether watching it over 10 weeks is going to take something away when the story is so obviously interconnected like this. You know, it, I'm wondering if really it is written for, you know, the, the Netflix, the DVD generation that, that wants to watch one episode and then another, then another. So, uh, you know, it, that, that maybe takes away from a little bit. Children of Earth, you know, was able to pick up on that by doing the every night type thing but uh, but we'll see we'll see all right well very good thank you again once again mark Cheers. as always hopefully you, you'll join us next week and we'll be reviewing oh, episode three okay thanks again cheers, cheers. i'm gonna uh because i despite uh, tim yeah go ahead graham i'm sorry so just bit yeah despite tim diving out there and he didn't have a chance to give his score but oh, yes put his score up as four out of five weasel weevil weevils <laughs> yes, weevils wobble and they fall down. Oh God! Yeah, I'm I'm going to give it three and a half out of five. Um, and and I think last week's um, episode one, I I think I liked it a little bit better. I think I'm, I'll give that four. But it's um, I mean, not that I dislike this episode in any way. It, it was just different. And um, I think we're we're still going forward. This is still a introduction to the whole story. So you know, um, but I I. Again, I think it's still both episodes are strong, though different. I think the the only thing that I guess the only real negative to me for this one was just the way it was kind of produced. It just seemed very typical to me of American television. And um, I, that's why I was kind of surprised that I think Dave and uh, someone else, I can't remember now, said that this seemed more like traditional torchwood and so to, uh, yeah, yeah yeah tim said it as well yeah they said, uh, although there was less content in part two it seemed more of an ordinary episode because i suppose there's so much exposition they had to do in the first one anyway yeah. i still absolutely think it would have worked better as a full-length film a uh, full-length tv movie two-parter yeah launched it would have launched it a lot better i think they could have Maybe, um, if not that, maybe they could have shown two episodes in the first week. They could have shown maybe two Ooh, back to back. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap things. Oh, Graham, did you give your rating? No. So last week, because I missed it, uh, four out of five. And the same again this week. Um, definitely four out of five. I've got very little gripes with it. Um, letting the story unravel and uh, most everybody suspend your disbelief I don't know where it's gone um, seems to me a fair few people are not able to uh, suspend their disbelief anymore and, and just let the silly things just let the silly things rattle by and enjoy the story um, but uh, despite Harry Potter moments and, and things more linking back to end of time <clears throat> it's better said that better so yeah both right. of them four out of five and dave i think you did you give your rating for this episode uh, yeah i think four for the first one four and a half weevils for this one second one um i definitely it felt more uh in character with this one and uh, one last thought i just wonder how the um 
the people that um, swore they would never watch Torchwood again after a certain death, uh, Yanto's <laughs> death. I wonder if they're secretly watching it and uh, and perhaps are quite surprised that it's still good, you know, that Torchwood can survive without Yanto, which I think it can. Well, in the news this weekend, this right now, as we record this, taking place in San Diego right now is San Diego Comic-Con and uh, yesterday, I believe it was, if not maybe Friday, John Berriman uh, was on a panel and had mentioned that they're still that the campaign to bring Yanto back continues. Uh, Stars still is getting supposedly there's a coffee campaign. They're sending coffee to Stars. Is this because he <laughs> the character made coffee all the time? Is that is that the the origin there? I just want to say that <laughs> I'll bring the character back. I'll give you my address. If you can send coffee, you can just a note that I like Kana coffee. Coffee from Hawaii is the, my favorite. As long as it's pure, not a blend, I, I'll be more than happy to entertain bringing um, the character back. So, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, That's two yeah. things from Hawaii, like Darth and his and, and their coffee. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Darth could, it could be my connection there. All right. Well, we'll be back next episode is episode three, Dead of the Night. And um, so we'll be back next Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time to review that. And thanks, everyone, for their participation in this episode. And I want to give Dave and Graham a chance to uh, tell you where they you where you can find them on the net and their shows as well. So first, Dave, Dave, as you know, is uh, hosts the Cultum Collective, which is on preceding us on on Sundays on TalkShoe as well. It's also available on um, iTunes and their website. So, Dave, can you uh, direct people on how to find Cultum Collective? I certainly can. Uh, along with Ian, the Sixth Doctor, we do it every Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. TalkShoe Talk ID 54821. We do have a blog at com. We've just done one today, slightly out of our usual thing. We've been talking about the cult comedy uh, The Big Bang Theory that's uh, been a big hit in the States had four series now and next Sunday uh, the 31st of July we're talking about Harry Potter but we're just doing years one through three uh, this coming Sunday and we will dip into the Harry Potter world uh, twice more in the upcoming weeks not concurrently but as we go along because we have not uh, really touched on Harry Potter through its whole 10-year progress through the cinemas. So thank you for that, Lewis. Yeah, mm-hmm. five, uh, five, four, eight, two, one. Fantastic. And Graham? So, yes, the second Doctor's podcast. That's the one. And the other is Professor How Doctor Who parody podcast. That's my other podcast. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at the numeral two ND Doctor. Also on Facebook, and uh, sometimes you might hear me alongside Lewis in Doctor Who Podshock. So um, keep your ears open. (laughs) All right, great. So until uh, next week, I guess, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to British Sci-Fi. 
To support this podcast, please visit ArtTrap.com and click on the donate button. It's the only way we can bring you this show. If you're not already a listener, please listen to our Doctor Who podcast, Doctor Who Podshock. Go to podshock.net or find it on iTunes. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions. Please visit ArtTrap.com for more on this and other podcasts.